I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. If you have a laser device for training and you want to take it to the next level, or if you're looking to get into using a laser device for training, check out the products at laserapp.com. L-A-S-R-A-P-P.com. You can use code CSP2021 for 15% off the items you've selected. And thanks for checking them out. Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters Podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. This week you have me, Dave, and you have Huggy. Hey! We also have a guest, as we usually do. This week's guest is the match director for the EGW Area 8 Steel Challenge Championship, Kevin McPhee. Let's go ahead and bring him on in. Hey, Kevin. Hey, everybody. Why don't you go ahead and take a moment and introduce yourself? Um, I am Kevin McPhee. Um, I am a USPSA Steel Challenge um, IDPA free gun shooter. Um, I have uh, taken on the onus of uh, running the EGW Area 8 Steel Challenge Championship for the area. Um, last year was our inaugural match, and we did a good job, and we're, so we're having the second one, and hopefully better the first one. Nice. I guess you learned all you needed to learn the first year to make this one a little bit easier for you. Well, I had a lot of experience from the years where I was the area director for Area 8 and running the area championship USPSA match. Um, and, you know, being a regular match director uh, kind of really benefited knowing how do things flow, being a CRO, understanding, you know, where things should go, uh, smooth things out. Okay. I don't know if you've listened to any of our episodes, but we start off every episode the same way. We're going to ask you a bunch of personal questions, drag you through the ringer, the whole nine yards, (laughs) uh, and then we start the interrogation after that. (laughs) My name is Nancy. All right. (laughs) <laughs> all right Huggy, go ahead so i was, like, I was going to say it's like man that's a hell of a ringer <laughs> right anyway <laughs> so we're going to kevin we're going to start off with this what is your favorite movie wow um you know my so it's a tie right okay um empire strikes back okay fifth element um, oh you know <laughs> So different ends of kind of the science fiction genre. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, because who, who can't love, you know, the Empire Strikes Back? I mean, the good guys lose. What a great story. And <laughs> for once, for once, yeah. the good guys actually lose. And, and um, you know, Lilu. I mean, <laughs> it's you know, what's not to love. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I will have to say that I like both of them. Um, Fifth Element, I, I just love it because it's just the I, I, how to say it. It's just got so many hidden little things inside there. If you just know what to look for, it's just it's hilarious. Gary <laughs> Oldman is he? The guy's. I mean, why he hasn't won every Oscar for any movie he's ever been in, I just don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right, so we're going to move on to question number two. Question number two is, 
What is your favorite book? Um, so it's a, a series of books, um, and it's written by an author uh, whose name is Tad Williams, and it's a book series called Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, and it's uh, four books, uh, it precursor to Game of Thrones, it's high epic sci you know, fantasy, and again, in two of the books, the good guys lose. Mm -hmm. And it's there, there's great um, character building, great writing, and you really get lost in the book. And you're just like, as soon as you pick it up, you don't, you, you can't put it down until it's done. And then you, you got to read the next one. Right. Well, that's cool. I know uh, if Leo was here, he would definitely enjoy that because he uh, is a big Game of Thrones uh, fan, so yeah. If you like Game of Thrones, you're. I mean, Tad Williams is your guy to go to for like better writing. Yeah, yeah. So he would enjoy that. So question number three. That's my favorite question of all questions on this whole list. So this really is the one that like, like gets everybody because it really is one that makes you think, and it's just like, oh my gosh, really? I, I can't. This question is so hard and so complex. This actually, I've seen people kind of sweat when I ask this question. So, um, so my, my question is, who is your favorite superhero? Well, uh, you know, there's always the easy answer. No, there's Dave no actually. So I'm a Marvel guy. <laughs> uh, you know, I've always been a Marvel guy. And, um, if I had to kind of put a finger on it, it would be daredevil. Nice. Uh, yeah. I mean, He's he he's just an average guy, really, when it comes right down to it, who writes the wrongs of society that he becomes aware of. And I like it. Right. That's awesome. That is an awesome character. I will agree with you. Uh he is a good character. Thank God you didn't say underdog, because I'm like, he's not a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> underdog. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's, That's exactly right. why I, I say it. Underdog. Really? Come on. Whoever said that one? I... Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Dave will tell you here in a second who said it. <laughs> yeah, somebody said uh, underdog. It was, oh, Ben Campamanis. But I thought there was somebody else, too. Yeah, because I think his name is Leo. I think his name is Leo. Well, Leo. <laughs> but I thought there was someone else that said underdog too but i've only got it down in there once so it's all good I mean, you're gonna do that i mean just you know, go right back to saturday morning cartoons and uh you know hong kong fooey yeah oh there we go there's a blast from the past jump it jump Please. into the filing cabinet come out of superhero everybody was exactly. kung fu fighting <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, Next question. What is your favorite gun and caliber? And they, they don't have to be mutually uh, exclusive of each other. So that's a good story. Um, so when I started okay. PSA and I started shooting um, competitions, um, my buddy and I came in together and he is a, a Glock guy. He's a Glock fan. He's Glock, Glock. Glock. As a matter of fact, we call him Glockamole. Um, 
uh, and the I, I I can't shoot a Glock. I don't like Glocks. I don't like the grip angle. They're just not me. Me and too. I had a hey man. I had a Kimber 1911. I started shooting with that, and watching other competitors shoot, I realized I I, I couldn't shoot. Um, for all intents and purposes, an off-the-shelf Kimber 45 four-inch gun and be successful in competitive shooting. So my next gun that I bought for competition, you know, I own other guns, and so it, I went out and I got myself a Nighthawk GRP in 45, one of the original Nighthawk builds. I bought it from a buddy of mine. Sent it back to Nighthawk, had him recondition it, sent it back to me. That gun is stupid crazy. Hmm. And then I realized that shooting a 1911 in competitive pistol shooting is sort of like smashing your head into a brick wall. And <laughs> I was like, I love it. It's taught me so many great things. Reloads, reloads, jam clearing, and reloads. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I need to get to a striker fired pistol gun if I want to shoot production. I need to look around. And so I tried a whole bunch of different guns. I tried a XDM. I tried, there you go. That's the baby. Tried an XDM. Okay. Tried um, uh, a Glock again. I tried a Springfield. And I landed on the Smith and Wesson MP Pro Series. And I then became mm. good friends with Dan Burwell uh, from Burwell Gunsmithing. And Dan was able to do trigger jobs on my stock M&Ps. Didn't change any parts out, just modified the parts that were in them. And I now have, let's just say, more than a handful of various different M&P Pro Model Series guns and all of them have sub three pound triggers in a striker fire gun all wow. of that no reset so it's literally click 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 and for production i still shoot my mp all the time i shoot it in uspsa i shoot in steel challenge um i'm on my third barrel for the gun it's just crazy i mean hundreds of thousands around through this thing and it's never failed me in a match but you asked me what my favorite gun is and that's my limcat custom open gun mm, I have, okay i have a razor okay. cat and johnny Lim did that gun for me and i've actually lent it to, to so many shooters that there's more shooters more, more rounds on the gun from people who i've lent it to than me and uh, <laughs> that gun is just absolutely spectacular. Uh, are you, Navy SEALs are afraid to shoot it. And I know two of them that won't shoot it anymore. <laughs> they like it that much, huh? No, it's got a nine ounce trigger. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't okay. have your discipline, that is not the gun for you. Yeah, no, wow. you breathe on it wrong and it's going to go. But it's a great wow. gun. It's 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 sexy. There is 
everything you can love about a 2011 is in that gun. And, um, yeah, I'd never, I'd never change it. I'd never get rid of it. It is the best gun ever. Wrong one. Now, what about caliber? Oh, uh, so you know what? You know, I'm a multi-caliber guy. I mean, it depends on what I'm shooting. I, I love shooting 22s and steel challenge. Um, Walter PPQ 22 four inch gun. If you never shot one, shoot one out of the box. That gun is awesome. Um, Ruger 22 light. Great gun. Again, another gun. You don't have to really do anything and it's fantastic. Um, you know, nine millimeter out of various different platforms, whether it's single stack and nine millimeter, it's my striker fire guns and out of nine millimeter, or it's a PCC out of nine millimeter. Nine millimeter is so versatile and it's so easy to reload. It's fantastic. But I shoot 40, 45 rifle caliber stuff. I'm all over the place. I got more okay. that I know what to do with. You shoot any long gun? Yeah. Um, so I. Do mm. so. I've got uh, a safe full of various different AR platforms and bolt action guns. Um, I'm, I'm an avid hunter, uh, so I spend a lot of time during October, November, December, January out chasing deer. So I um, I've got 308s and bolt action guns and ARs. I've got. 300 blackouts, um, you know, 223, you know, calibers, uh, 224 Valkyrie. Uh, it, the Valkyrie is fun to shoot 600 yards because it's one of the few rounds where when you pull the trigger, the report of it hitting the steel at 600 yards is nanoseconds. It's not full seconds. <laughs> and, ooh, it's already there. Holy cow. <laughs> nice so what's your favorite you should... hunting round oh go ahead huggy i was gonna say you said you had an ensemble of rifles i was gonna say you should go down to florida and go uh magnetic fishing you might find another one down there in the river <laughs> yeah, yeah wow that, that that kid's lucky those damn rifles are expensive <laughs> yeah yeah i couldn't believe it <laughs> I'm like, what, do you, what do you mean you found a barrett 50 caliber how do you get it out of the water? It weighs 30 pounds. Yeah. With a magnet? Mm, yeah. yeah. Strongest magnet ever. Yeah. 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 So well, it's anyway. superconductive. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. So you hunt. So what's your favorite hunting caliber? So there's there's two, right? So actually, um, if I'm whitetail deer hunting um, at the farm that I hunt on in Maryland, um, the, the way the farm is set up in all the various different stands, there's really no shot that's over 200 yards that we ever have to take. And I really, at that particular uh, place, I love to hunt uh, 300 blackout suppressed. Um, okay. Because the way the property is kind of geography, there's valleys and ridges, and literally you can, uh, with the 300 blackout suppressed, you can uh, 
have a couple of deer just lined up and just go pop, 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 pop. And they're all just falling down before they realize their first friend got shot. Because, <laughs> you know, while they hear something, they it's foreign to them. Yeah. Right. Right. And then on that same piece of property in the back end, there's some places where you can shoot uh 200 300 and 400 yard shots and for that i like the 308 and again i suppress it so it's you know nice yeah yeah very nice <clears throat> all right now that we got that oh where am i at here there we go so when i met you um, the first time I, I can remember meeting you was when you were the area director mm -hmm. the last year in 2019 and you brought Steve Anderson down to Cavalier. Yeah. Um, and the, the way you two interacted seemed like you guys already knew each other. Was that the case? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so early on in my shooting career, right. Uh, go back to the beginning when I was shooting my, my 45. Um, I actually was shooting Fredericksburg and, uh, there was a lady there who actually did the check-in, uh, for the match and she did the sign up. Her name's Carla Wills and her son, Lee, um, who at the time was 11 or 12, um, was shooting with us. Um, and Lee was on the para ordinance shooting team. And Travis Tomasi uh, had told Lee that he was going to get some training for him through Para. And Travis actually, unfortunately, couldn't come because he was going to come and do the training. And Travis reached out to Carla and said, hey, this guy, Steve Anderson, is starting up a, you know, a training course. He's got a book out that he's written. Um, you guys should give him a try. And so Carla was like, Hey, you need to take a course. Hey, you need to take a course. Hey, you need to take a course. And so she hit six of us who all shot together. Myself, Kelly Cobain, Clay Clem, Alex Melanchak, right? So we all signed up to go get instructed by this brand new shooting instructor. No one had ever heard of him. Yeah, he had a book. And he was a GM in Ohio. And so uh, he came to Virginia and originally Lee was supposed to be in the class with us. But the problem is, is the range where we arranged to have the class at wouldn't let Lee on the range because he wasn't 13. So Steve was doing wow. private private lessons with Lee at the house after hours. And we show up to the class for the first day. And Steve rolls up in his uh, Mustang GT. It's raining. And he pulls in. The car just slides. It's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> So we're like, okay, yeah, you got to be careful with that. And um, so we start doing the course. And I'm sitting there uh, in line. We're all doing our draws. He's showing us. He's, you know, he's doing a really good job instructing us. And um, he turns down to me, and I'm sitting there with a cigar in my mouth, and I got sunglasses on. And he's like, hey, uh, would you mind putting that cigar down? 
And I looked at him saying, yeah. And he's like, what? Yeah, yeah, you don't mind or yeah, you mind? I said, yeah, I mind. I'm like, it's a $10 cigar. And <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to just put it down because you asked me to. I'm standing down here at the end of the line. No, nobody's getting bothered by it. And everybody who's next to me likes the smell of my cigar. Oh, well, I can fix that. And he goes, no, 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 no. Not, not right now. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll put my cigar down. And so I go back to my bag and I put my cigar down. And he's like, hey, um, yeah, while you're back there, can you take the sunglasses off and put on shooting glasses? And I'm like, what the heck? What is your problem, man? <laughs> <laughs> and from that point forward, Steve and I have been friends. Um, so we had Steve's first class and it was great. Uh, all of us had never seen anybody teach anything like that. There were breakthroughs um, in that class that would basically have never have happened without Steve's tutelage. And uh, it was soon after that, and I was uh, on the Peacemaker uh, pistol team for Peacemaker International uh, Range up in West Virginia when they still had USPSA and stuff. And so our teammates consisted of myself, uh, Ken Blockstein, Chris Rines, Mike Green, and his wife, Pascal. And uh, Mike's for special forces guy. And I was telling them about the Steve Anderson class. And Mike had just talked to Mike Seeklander about training. And apparently Mike had mentioned Steve also. So they're like, well, can you get Steve out here to do training for us? And I'm like, yeah, let me call. So I called Steve from the range and said, hey, can you come out, you know, for a weekend? We want to do a couple days. You know, it's going to be like six of us. And he's like, well, you know, okay. And uh, he came and stayed at the house. Uh, he fell in love with my dog, my bourbon, and my cigar collection. And uh, pretty much <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually, awesome. I, was, I was just talking to Steve uh, last week. He was uh, he was actually in Florida doing a, a training class when we were talking about the stuff we're going to do here at the end of the month. And uh, his host was in the car with him, driving him to where, wherever they were going. And uh, his his host, Steve's like, hey, Kev, blah, 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 blah. Hey, just so you know, I'm in the car with the host. Blah, blah, blah. And the guy goes, is that? Kevin McPhee? <laughs> and Steve's like, yes, yes, this is the coffee guy. <laughs> Funny. You, every time I see you, you have a cigar. Every time, no matter what. You know, there are things in life that you just have to enjoy. And it's no point enjoying crappy things if you've got bad habits. Enjoy good things. And, <laughs> you know, I, I like good cigars. I like good bourbon. Um, I met my wife in a cigar shop, and she loves bourbon probably more than I do, which is expensive. <laughs> yeah, it can get expensive for sure. Yeah. Oh, I, I tell you, I love me some good bourbon. You know, it's to the point now, I love it when I go into the, uh, uh, the beverage. Tonight. Oh, nice. 
I, but uh, I love when I go into the beverage store. Of course, it's mm -hmm. the ABC store out here in the state of Virginia. And uh, I love walking in there, and they know who I am right off the bat. And they're like, hey, Huggy, <laughs> we got a new one for you. Come check it out. <laughs> that's So that's there's two things there that you got to be aware of. One, you're in there too often. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> two, you keep going to the same one. So you have to spread it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like someone's been through this. <laughs> All right. So let's let's get into your background real quick. When did you when did you first start shooting guns? How old were you? Well, so when did I start start shooting guns? That actually would be the age of fifteen. Um, I started shooting uh, shotguns, doing traps. Um, I actually fell in with a group of friends who really liked playing paintball. And this is 1984. And we were playing paintball with single action paint guns. Um, and so that just kind of like fell in love with pistols. And so I was shooting trap and I was like, ah, screw this, I want to shoot pistols. Um, so I, I did a little bit of stuff. And then when I joined the military, um, you know, I shot guns in the military. Um, and then when I got out, I just started accumulating guns, right? Oh, I like that one. Oh, I like that one. I like that one. And I had always went to the range and I always shot and no matter where I was, I figure out where to go shoot and do the things I did. And so as many of my stories will, uh, reflect, I hang out in cigar shops a lot. So I'm in a cigar shop and um, talking with the, the guys that are in there. And I mentioned, you know, some shooting things. And my buddy, uh, Ken Blocks, who I really didn't know at that point in time, um, was like shooting. Ooh. And so he and I started shooting together and we were casual shooters very casual shooter. We would go to the range and we would basically you're, do mag dumps at a target. Ha ah, look how much you're on the perfect I podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. And, um, I said to him, I said, you know, why don't we do something different? I mean, I've got some friends that shoot Ipsic here in Virginia. Um, why don't we try that? And he's like, you mean there's a sport for this? <laughs> <laughs> so then he and I started looking at, you know, where can we go shoot Ipsic? Where can we shoot IDPA? And um, so I was working one weekend. I came back. I was in the cigar shop. And Ken walks in. And he goes, I just went to Pennsylvania and shot my first IDPA match. And I'm like, you drove where? <laughs> drove from Northern Virginia to Central PA that morning and shot an IDPA match. Wasn't even an IDPA member. And they're like, come on back. And he goes, I live five hours from here. I'm never coming back. Wow. And he's like, it was awesome. And I'm like, okay, so, hey, there's there's a match, like, this weekend in Mechanicsville, Virginia. It's a, it's a steel match, but let's go check it out. And so we went down there and we shot the Black Creek steel match. Mm. And at that point, I, I wasn't married. Ken was married. And... He and I embarked on this insane adventure. We were shooting 
four weekends a month, Saturday and Sunday, sometimes on Fridays for 52 weeks for two years straight. Wow. Yep. We hit every club match, every major match. We shot them all. It didn't matter what it was. If there was shooting and it was in a two-hour window of Northern Virginia, we were there. Um, it got to a point where, uh, you know, Ken, Ken's lovely uh, wife, now ex-wife, um, <laughs> would call me and say, could you please send my husband home? I'd be like, yep. <laughs> and we we did that for, for two solid years. Um, and then Ken kind of veered off and really wanted to focus on three gun. And I like my money a little bit more than that. So I was like, you go over there. I'm going to stick over here. We're shooting only one gun at a time. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. It's cheaper. Um, so Ken kind of went his way and I went my way and we, you know, we were still friends. We still talk. We still hang out every once in a while. And, um, he, uh, you know, he really took the, you know, that shooting path and went with it pretty hard. I, I took my shooting path and obviously, um, what I did basically is, you know, before I became the area director, I was focused on me shooting, you know, dry fire every day, practice twice a week, matches on weekends. And, you know, I had a lot of fun. And then I became the area director and my shooting focus stopped being me and started being the shooters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm just now getting back and this is, you know, two years after being the area director where I'm focusing on me shooting again. You know, I've got, because I spent the last two, three years kind of building my wife up in, you know, in steel challenge. And so now she's, kind of at that nice comfortable plateau um, where she'll maintain until she's done with her master's degree program and then she'll go back to focusing on being better and I can now focus back on me about practice and dry fire and you know all of those things that make make us better shooters so that all that all started in 2011 so became a member of USPSA, I think in 2012 and what, 2015, you were, you became area director. Yep. Okay. Wow. That's pretty quick. Mm -hmm. How did you enjoy your time as area director? So I loved it and hated it. Um, you know, I, I loved all the things I was able to do as the area director. Um, and, and by that, I mean, I, I held junior programs. Um, I supported uh, junior camps for Steel Challenge specifically. Uh, JJ Rakaza came out and did a class in Pennsylvania. Um, I had Steve Anderson down twice. I had Brandon Wright twice for junior classes. So I... I I, I loved that interaction, bringing people in, in, into the sport and bringing skill set to those shooters. Um, I also, you know, lo loved and hated the idea and the prep and the time 
that go, went into producing the area championship matches. And I was very, very lucky. Um, you know, I, for my first two years, I had Bill Duda, who was just absolutely phenomenal in the organization, the running, um, and the building of, of the match. And I really only had to do kind of ancillary stuff. Um, and then we transitioned that to Shadowhawk. Well, actually, to Antolani still, but with uh, Lynn Kasich from Shadowhawk. And I took up some more of the duties, more of the roles, financial stuff, you know, planning, stage design, things of that nature. And that really got Lynn introduced to the idea of being a big match director, which, as we all know, Lynn, Lynn's great. She's fantastic. Her range is fantastic. Big match directing wasn't her forte. She likes running smaller matches and right. hosting the big matches because she can, and she's great at it. And, uh, you know, I, I love her for that. And actually, you know, that that's a whole separate story where, um, you know, middle of my term as area director, um, Lynn calls me up and says, hey, I'm thinking about finally building action pistol bays. Because when she first bought Shadowhawk, um, myself and Mike Danjek said, you should build action pistol bays and you should do competition shooting and she's like nope nope we're sticking training 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 so she calls me up and she goes yeah i need to do this but i don't know how to run matches i don't know how to do this i don't know how to do that so i happen to know someone who was <laughs> right there in the western edge of virginia who's 30 minutes from your range who just called me two weeks ago and said hey i want to be a match director again and that was jerry weiscar and um so i was like well lynn actually i i got a match director for you who will take you through everything and help you get things set up build 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 the props and put you on the path and she was like okay well let me think about it all right so a week later she calls me back and she's like hey we built five bags is that enough I'm like, you, you did what? Wow. And I'm like, well, you did what? In a week? What? And she goes, yeah, well, we built five bays. I'm like, well, how big are your bays? And so she tells me, and I'm like, okay, um, you know, if you had a six, that would be fantastic because, you know, six bays is pretty cool. Shooters like coming in and shoot six. Six and you can have one set up as a classifier and run five squads and do this and do that. Well, you know, I'm just worried it's just not going to make money. And I'm like. Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will they come. Will come. Yep. And so Chris Viverette, who was the section coordinator at the time, he and I set a practice score account for, we get tablets, we get all the stuff. Uh, Kelly Cobean comes out to run stats. And we put all the stuff together. And we opened registration for her first match. And she had... 160 people signed up for Oof. that had 50 slots. 50. Wow. Mm. And she's like, uh, and I'm like, <laughs> what do you want to do? Houston, we like, have a problem. <laughs> she's like, well, well can, how do we do this? I said, well, you can run an AM PM schedule. Um, cause you can set what time you start and what time you finish. Um, it's, you know, summertime basically it was late spring 
Like, so, you, you know, we can shoot till probably seven o'clock at night. And he said, if you really want to, you can have a Sunday session. And um, she opened up an afternoon session and she had a hundred people signed up and we got halfway through the morning session. And she comes to me and says, we're having our construction guy come out and he's going to build us four more bays over here next week. Um, can we shoot again tomorrow? And I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, you've got all those people on the wait list. Just email them. Find out how many people want to come. And she filled up Sunday. Wow. And she was like, this, this could make money. And I'm like, well, well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <I told you. laughs> and so she's like but 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 i don't i don't you know i don't think i want to do this as a you know as primary source of our income i don't want to do this and i'm like but you know what Lynn? you do, do what you're comfortable with it's your range um run it the way you need to run it and then um idpa got wind of it and cody claxton's like i'd like to run a match there so they started running IDPA. Then Joe Pitha got in there. Hey, I'd like to run a three-gun match there. Hell yeah, okay. We'll run a three-gun match here. And, and it just kind of snowballed. All of a sudden, they went from, yeah, we're going to do one weekend a month where we're going to hold competition bays. We're going to keep staying with the training, da, da, da. Where then they split the company. They basically have a training organization. And then they have people who do nothing but run the competition bays. Mm-hmm. You know. The, our, our biggest challenge in any of the shooting sports is where to shoot. It's not yes. how many shooters belong to which organization. It's where to go shoot. If we had more places to go shoot, we could have more members. Yeah. And I was, uh, who, who, we were talking to somebody on the podcast and they were out West. I want to say it might've been, was it Hopkins Huggy? I think it was Matt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it was Matt Hopkins where, you know, he's like, we're full out here. You know, we have more shooters. We know, or no, no, I'm sorry. They have more ranges than shooters. So they have no issue with getting into a match on a weekend. I'm like, Matt, I'm like, hours open up. And there are times where 10 minutes later, the entire match is full and you can't get in a local match. We need, I, I said, I tell you what, you send us your ranges. We'll send you shooters because we don't need more shooters. We need more ranges. Yeah, actually, so it's funny you say that. Uh, so Matt Hopkins and I talked about, uh, I guess it was like three or four weeks ago. And, and that, that came up in our, in our conversation. Uh, you know, Matt called me uh, basically to get kind of past area director uh, input on some information. Um, and, you know, we actually went over this. I'm like, yeah, I've been, I've been out to the middle of the country. I've seen Heartland shooting in freaking the middle of Kansas. It's 16 bays in a row that are you know good the lord small, the small bay is 50 yards deep by 40 yards wide <laughs> wow right and damn there sits on like 10,000 acres of county land it's just like there's 30 trap fields in a line wow 16 pistol bays in a line just wide open and yeah, it's they they hold a, a monthly match there, and uh, they they do six six stages because they can't actually build any more because there's no one there to help them take it down because they only get forty shooters a month. 
Mm. Wow. Yeah, and it's like right there in Grand Island. You know, it's just like it's not a big city, but it's not a small city. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's an hour and a half away from uh, uh, what the hell that city? God dang it! It be a big city. Hour. I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so there's you know, you look at um, you know that that whole region. Uh, you know, uh, Barry, um, Passa Park, right? Another huge range that has lots and lots of bays and they're, they're lucky if they get 60 shooters in a month. You know? mm. So that's crazy. Was it Omaha? They near Omaha is what you were trying to think of. Yeah. But that's it. Omaha. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I wish we had more uh, facilities out in like in Virginia here. I mean, I know yeah. that, uh, uh, you know, I've, like you said, you mentioned before, I've shot at Shadowhawk. I've shot at uh, Peacemakers. Yep. You know, I've been down to Cavalier. I've been down to uh, Fredericksburg Riding Gun Club. Um, <clears throat> I've had, I've been invited with a friend to Fairfax Riding Gun Club. Yeah. Sh- shot up there. Um, I just wish there was a, a, a few more around. I mean, I, I know a gentleman who's been humming and hawing about it out here. In the front row area, it's more like Middletown area. Mm-hmm. He's uh, talking about trying to put a, a range out there. So, um, but it, it would be nice. Let me tell you, it just would be nice to have more around to to go to and everything of that nature. Because, like you said, like Dave said, it's amazing how you're like, hey, I remember Dave and I would be like, hey, you want to go shooting this weekend? Yeah, sure, okay. And then next thing you know, we go on there to sign up, and it's like, oh wow. You know, it's already filled up or, you know, and we're like, uh, looks like Saturday is filled. We're going to have to go to Sunday, you know, and, you know, yeah, it's crazy. It's amazing. It is absolutely crazy. Um, you know, so uh, in the years where, um, you know, we lost uh, North Mountain Practical Shooters. Um, I'm not sure if you guys ever shot there, but it was the oldest running continuous running ipsic match in the united states wow chartered and first run its first ipsic match in in 82 and it basically ran all the way up through uh 2017 and it was in the bowl of an apple field and it was literally you were just shooting (laughs) into the berm that was basically the bottom of the top of the hill into this apple field. And it was fantastic. And it was this great club. And unfortunately there was, um, you know, just some financial things with the apple orchard owner and just no longer working. But it was a shame to lose that club. Like I said, it had been there since 1982. Um, wow. And then, you know, so we lost, we lost one and then we got, Shadowhawk, right? And you know, it was the same geographical pull, if you will, Northern Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. And we got lots and lots of shooters there. Um, the and, and the capacity was much bigger than it was at North Mountain. You know, capacity at North Mountain was basically four squads of 10 and running an AM, PM. And that was all they could fit in. So great shooting limited capacity problem. Fredericksburg, great shooting, 
limited capacity, but more capacity, but we only have a finite amount of time on Saturday and finite amount of time on Sunday. Yeah. And again, you know, um, in, in, in 2014, Fredericksburg's monthly matches sold out in seconds, not even a full minute. Uh, and they would have 120 slots and they'd be gone. I believe it. Gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, every club is cyclic. It depends on who's the match director, what's going on, how many people can they, they draw, are their stages designed the way people want to shoot, what's going on here, what's going on there. And, you know, clubs have to be refreshed. They have to be up to date with what they're presenting and putting on the ground. And we need more clubs. You know, we had more clubs, we could get more people shooting. But that other part about that is if you have more clubs, you need more people to volunteer to run those clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, running a match versus shooting a match is a lot different because, you know, you, you have to design the stages. You have to build the props. You have to store the props. You have to get the props out. You have to put the props on the ground. You have to make everything safe. And then you have to have all the shooters there listen to the problems that they find with what you did over the last 12 hours and then you have to take it all down and put it away so that's ready for the next time you got to put it out and i i can't tell you the number of shooters who were like oh yeah i want to help out i'm gonna stand up i'm gonna do this holy shit this is hard i'm never coming back <laughs> like well did, did, did you ever go to a county fair and just think that it was magically there I'm like, people have to build all this stuff. They have to take it all down. They have to put it away. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people have to do. Yeah, I, yeah. I just, I'm going to say right now, I will say that a lot of people think it's magically built because they just, like, when they show up and they expect everything there and be like, okay, great time, yeah, woo, and I'm out, you know? I'm out. Or, you know, it's like, hey, you know, it. It was great shooting. You know, it took us all this time to build this. How about like a hand taking it down and everything of that nature? Yeah, you know? for sure. But, hey, no, I paid this- my twenty bucks, or you know, even even in Shadowhawk's case, hey, I paid my thirty-five or forty dollars or whatever it is they charge, right? But they're yeah. charging that because they pay staff. Yes. To build those stages and take those stages down, yep. and the first shooter that ever ever came to me and said. I can't believe Shadowhawk's charging all that money. And I looked at him and was like, it's a business. They pay somebody to put it on the ground. They pay somebody to put it away so you don't have to. And the only thing you got to do is show up, shoot, and paste. So for your eight hours, $40 is pretty cheap. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Wow. So absolutely. Yep. Now that 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 brings up when you were area eight director, I've talked to several guests about this. Was there ever any discussion? Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I even talked to Mike Foley about it when I had him on. Um, about creating a database, like on the USPSA website, there are areas that are accessible by certain people. One of them being, you know, clubs. Yep. But did they ever consider? 
putting a tab within that section of different stages that people have created and end up with a, you know, a five or 10,000 stage database where you don't always have to try to create something you can go in and, oh, here's one. So it actually, back in the day, right, um, they actually had uh, a stage design course that you could take. It was like your IRO course. Um, as a matter of fact, it was actually part of the CRO certification pre-2012. And when you became a CRO pre-2012, it was actually like a two-week-long course. You did wow. the first, yeah, the first 10 days of it was all homework, you know, designing stages, doing this, doing that. And then when you actually got to the class, you had to present your stages, you had to build the stages, you had to QA the stages, and it was all building stages. It basically, it was hot, hammer swinging 101. And um, people were, how does this make us better CROs? How does this make us better ROs? And so they changed the course from stage design to stage management. But back to your original question, at that point in time, what they would do is they would take all the stages from previous nationals and they would put them together in a binder, if you will, right? And you could use that resource to get stage ideas and it was available and in something happened in 2010 where they lost a lot of data you know, out of the server for some strange reason um and i don't know all the details behind it and they lost all that data they lost all those old national stages and wow guys like got you know, so guys like troy actually he has a you know, basically kind of a root copy of it. And um, there, there just never, there hasn't been time because they wanted to focus on the other improvements to the web page and the app um, to kind of put that back together. Mm, okay. It just always seemed to me like that, that would make it so much easier on clubs to put on just a normal, you know, weekend local match. If they had a database where you know, the guys volunteering to do this could just go in and go, oh, you know what? This one that they did up in Grand Island a couple of years back looks pretty good. And this one from Frostproof looks pretty good. Oh, now we have six. We have six stages already designed. All we have to do is put them up. It actually used to be, um, you know, so the, the years that uh, I worked and ran the Virginia-Maryland match, um, we would build the match at Fredericksburg and we would leave the stages up for the match that was generally the following weekend that the monthly match because it used to be the virginia maryland match was always the third or fourth weekend of may and then we only had to leave it up for a week for the first weekend in june for the fredericksburg monthly match um and we would do that for area eights that were held at fredericksburg we would do that for the section matches that held at fredericksburg and uh, a lot of clubs would take the matchbook from either the area or the section match, and then they would build the funnest stages by consent at their local club for the next month for the shooters who didn't get to shoot that match. Okay. Right. And, and that was actually kind of prevalent throughout 
the area sections for years. And that's kind of fallen a little bit by the wayside. Some clubs still do it after the area match. Um, Eastern Shore was always um, pretty big on that, but but Bill Duda was you know one of the main guys there at Eastern Shore. So there was a lot of that. Um, uh, and, and every once in a while, you'll see you know match directors and you know they're they're not being lazy. They're using a resource that's available to them, and yeah, they would cherry pick stages from the Nationals matchbook. Why not? They're they're designed. Technically, yep. they're technically they're vetted and they should be safe. And uh, you know, fit them to your range. So you know that's you know, that, 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 that's usually when I so I a lot of times when I get um, people who call me and they want to start new, new clubs that's that's generally the first place I would I tell them to go is just like do a Google search look for area eight matchbook look for nationals matchbook look for section uh, matchbooks Virginia Maryland section Western PA section and I said look at their stages fit them into where you where you can fit them in. There's people who've never seen these stages before because they've only been shooting for three years and that match was six years ago. Yeah. Now, some of the people who shot that match six years ago aren't going to remember that stage. And there's going to be the one guy who shows up and goes, I remember my walkthrough from this. I don't have to look at it. <laughs> oh, that's going to go well. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's worse things. <laughs> So how did you end up being the guy running the Area 8 Steel Challenge Championship? Fantastic question. Thanks for asking. Oh, mm -hmm. Actually. That's what I'm here for. This, 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 <laughs> actually, this is an important one for me. Um, so when I first started shooting, there was a, a shooter whose name was Scott Bubba Cook. And Scott was just an amazing personality. Um, he loved everything about shooting and he basically, if there was a match, he was at it. <clears throat> um, and Scott's part of, uh, the cap was part of the Cavalier club. And, um, he basically, along with, uh, Mike Valentine, Chris Dye and Chris's wife, Tess kind of brought USPSA shooting back to Cavaliers. Cavalier in the eighties actually had an Ipsic match that they would hold uh, on the other side of the, the, the range from where we shoot now. And it kind of died away. Scott organized bringing it back. Scott was the section coordinator. He really wanted a match at his home club. So he started bringing USPSA back. They, had, they already had an IDPA uh, club running, so they leveraged the resources, and they really got things going. Um, about... Uh, a year after they started the USPSA club, um, Scott knew that I liked shooting steel challenge also. So he came to me and said, Hey, you know, I'm a star steel challenge club. Would you shoot it? I'm like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I was still living in Northern Virginia at the time. And so <clears throat> Scott and I worked out a deal and together we went and we bought some steel from Carl GT targets. Um, and Scott started running steel challenge matches and people would come and we would do it. And, Scott was kind of running it every other month or when it was convenient sort of thing. So it didn't really pick up a lot of traction. And um, 
So the club then said, hey, we're going to build all these brand new bays. We're going to do all this. We're going to have all this extra space. I said, Sky, said, you know, we could probably hold, you know, a level two steel challenge match here and be pretty successful. And Scott's like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. I want to do that. We're, we're going to do that. And then Scott had a heart attack and died. So mm. it became my kind of. Until next time. Don't be a little bitch. Yeah.